Brought to you by Unicorn.com, the premier esports betting site. Log on today to bet on your favorite games like League of Legends, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, basically any esport you can come up with for the chance to win awesome prizes like the Logitech G633 headset that I'm using right now. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am an analyst and editor-in-chief for Imperial Esports, and welcome to another special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast, where the only thing rougher than our pick and ban phase are the lives of anyone who had NRG flares on Reddit. It has been a very interesting quarterfinal series in North America. We had one series that really surprised us, and we had one series that didn't surprise us at all. And of course, when I say us, I am referring to my co-host, good friend and writer for Slingshot Esports, Walter C80's Fedchuck. Walter, how are you doing, man? There are energy flares on Reddit? I mean, not anymore, probably. They're going to go in hiding until uh, some big signing is made this offseason, because... I got to be honest with you. We're going to start with this liquid NRG series. Did you see anything from NRG that was particularly salvageable when looking at this team coming back for next split? Because uh, salvageable is the word I'm left to use. This was a disaster. I mean, I, I, I guess what is your what is your definition of, of salvageable? Are they going to completely gut this roster and start from scratch? No. I think uh, I think they'll continue to play, keep uh, GBM and Impact, and the the North American players are the ones that I kind of scratch my head and go, okay, now what do you do with this? I don't think Conquan showed that he's a a very strong support. Um, granted, his ability to speak Korean is is helpful, but I think you can at some point you kind of have to say is the ability to actually speak Korean worth having a a subpar support. I don't think so. Um, Alltech, <laughs> I've been I've been decri- a decrier of Alltech for a very very long time, and and the fact that he did not kill anyone in this series, period, at all, not no one, he did not kill anyone, it speaks volumes. He's, he's benched himself twice. You you've called him a, a head case. I I don't know if that's necessarily. The right word, it seems a little too strong, but he very obviously has fallen off a cliff in terms of where he was with gravity at the end of last split. Uh, and you look at Moon, and I thought Moon was going to be fantastic. St. Vicious sold me on this Kool-Aid, and I drank it down, and, and he had a couple of good games towards the end of the season, and he was a little bit more impactful in, in this series than I anticipated, but at the end of the day, he, he wasn't very good. I don't think anyone on any one of the North American players were, were very good. Yeah, it was rough. I think if you were going to make a case for any of the North American players, Moon might be it. It seemed like he did have an understanding, at least when he played the Elise and even the Graves a little bit in game two. He had an understanding of of where he needed to be and what he needed to be doing for his team. I, I think a lot of what makes him look quite bad in this series is how outclassed he was by Dardoch, which 
if you're looking at rookies that we were evaluating going into the split, Dardock wasn't even supposed to be starting. He was supposed to be on Liquid Academy, and Moon was someone we valued quite highly. And now Dardock is clearly the rookie of North America and possibly the best jungler in North America. That's a conversation that he has now put himself into, and I don't think Moon is that guy. But what really worries me is what they're going to do about the bot lane. I think you're absolutely correct in identifying that as biggest flaw for this team, but I don't know what they do at this point. It's They've put themselves in a nearly impossible situation where their Korean imports are almost too valuable to give up. Impact was the one guy this series that was desperately trying to claw something back in every one of these games. His NAR and his Echo were both quite good. He did everything you could have asked from him as a top laner. It just didn't matter because the rest of his team was hemorrhaging kills. And we've talked before about how valuable GBM is, not only in what he brings as far as his champion pool, which is obviously quite deep and he's proven to be an innovator at times in the past, but just in his execution and the way that he was able to play his Lissandra in game two. I think he's a solid player. I think he's the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to replace unless you absolutely had to. But at the same time, you have to replace Altec. I will continue to use the word head case. I don't believe that you can play as an 80 carry in a three game series and not get a single kill and say that you were mentally in that series. And it's... You know, Piglet is a hard task for everyone, but it's not like Piglet was dominant in all of these games. He only got one kill in game two. The strength of that team came from what the rest of his allies were able to do across the map and him being able to be supportive in that way. But Altec had chances. He was playing Sivir a lot of the time. He should have been able to farm up. He should have been able to stay back safely with the Jin. There's no reason those games should have looked as ugly as they were. And at this point, I just think it's unsalvageable. So, so this is where I don't think he had chances. I don't think he played good at all. I don't think there was ever a moment where I was like, oh, you know, Altec, if he took like one more step forward, he could have gotten that kill or if he flashed for it. There was never a moment where I was like, okay, Altec is okay, Altec is going to get going here. It was just it it was it was pitiful. It was mm. pitiful to watch him and Conquad interact with the eight other players on the map. It was Pitiful. Granted, yeah, he had nine assists over the course of the three games, which means that he made some impact at, at some point, but in laning phase, he was absolutely getting demolished by Piglet. Even though Piglet wasn't getting kills, he was just racking up the farm. He was zoning Alltech extremely well. The the combination mm -hmm. of Piglet and Matt has turned into one of the better duo lanes in North America. Uh, you know, if you say historically, I would say it's almost up there with, with the Rush Hour bot lane. Mm. But you cannot have an AD carry that has no impact on the game. You you can't. You have to have some form of impact. Whether it is you're just playing Sivir or Ash and your job is just to, to fire an ultimate, but the role is AD carry. Carry. You are supposed to be the primary damage dealer. You are supposed to carry the game. And Alltech has just proven he is not that type of player. Just absolutely after the season, he is not that type of player. I can't see anyone giving him another shot at this point. I don't think he deserves to be in the LCS. I don't think he wants to be in the LCS. You know, this is a guy, you say he didn't have any chances. He didn't put himself in an ability to have chances. This guy looked like he didn't want to play League of Legends. You can't have this passive mentality when you're playing such an aggressive position, a position that needs to get resources, that needs to be this huge damage threat for the team. They gave him three different champions. They gave him Lucian, 
They gave him Sivir. They gave him Jin. He couldn't perform on any of them. In this meta, that's nearly impossible to accomplish. You should just accidentally get a kill at that point just because of how strong those picks are and how teamfights should be going. But he doesn't step up in teamfights. He plays scared. And honestly, that's what I leave with NRG. They just played scared. They played like a team that knew they weren't good enough to win this series. And it became more and more clear as the series went on. After game one, which was a stomp, by the way. Zero towers for NRG. Only one kill across the entire team. The rest of these games, they just... Whenever they met some resistance, they folded. And it was especially in the bot lane. All, you know, impact kept fighting, but the bot lane just crumbled like a used napkin. It was really tough to watch. And the exact opposite of how I felt watching Liquid, which was everything I hoped it would be and more. Turns out Steve Kaffmeyer's projection model worked out pretty well for us as their win expectancy. I mean, they looked like a team that should have won a lot more games than they did in the regular season. Walter, you mentioned Piglet and Matt before, but how else has this team gotten to this point where they're starting to be a genuinely scary threat heading into these semifinals? They're they're meshing on all cylinders. They understand their roles. Lorlo understands he does not need to be a care. He doesn't mm-hmm. need to single-handedly carry the game. He knows that his job is to be a tank, disrupt team fights, make sure that Phoenix and Piglet are well protected, and and go from there. Dardock and Phoenix have realized that they can bounce between being that secondary carry next to Piglet and being a utility, supportive, disrupting team fight kind of thing. We we look at game one. Dardock plays Gragas. He goes one one and nine. Phoenix is playing Azir. He goes four zero and and five. We go to game two. This is the ultimate style game. Dardock took every kill. He's like, that person's about to die. I'm going to take that one. I'm going to take that one. That was one of the best Lee Sin carry style games I've seen outside of like solo queue in a long time. And he just didn't care. And you have Phoenix who goes, okay, Dardock is carrying. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go Rylize. I'm just going to kind of sit back. I'm going to be the utility kind of guy. Make sure that Dardock stays alive. Make sure Piglet can get out his damage. And you have this game where across the board, you have three guys that are in double digits in terms of assists. And even Dardock and Phoenix had six. So a lot of team fighting, a lot of interacting with each other. And then you go into game three and again, it's Dardock is back onto the Gragas. Phoenix goes onto the Zed. Again, swapping that utility disruption for carry position. It was great. This team understands what their jobs are. And they are humming on all cylinders. This is the best that I've seen a team play outside of that Immortals game against Team Impulse. Yeah, this was a decisive victory. And what I would say is a statement victory from Team Liquid. We knew they were going to be good. We picked them as one of our smart money bets last week to win against NRG with that minus one and a half handicap. That was the one smart money bet that came through for us. The reason that we made that bet is because we knew that Liquid had started putting these pieces together. And as as the season went on, they were getting better and better as a unit. But now you look at what they've become. This is the epitome of everything they were building. This is a Dardock and Phoenix synergy that, as you said, both of them are comfortable being either the carry or the supportive role. And when you have that, and you have Piglet on your team, who is so good that you sometimes forget that we need to acknowledge how good he is. It was one of my favorite parts of the post-match thread on Reddit. He had a list of players that just did their job, players that were really shining, and Piglet wasn't even on that list because, according to him, it was so assumed that Piglet should be having great games that it wasn't even worth mentioning. I can't find the Reddit comment right now, 
but it was, I think, a perfect way to describe this team. I've forgotten how good the bot lane is sometimes until you actually watch it in action. You're like, whoa, that's always going to be a point of strength. And to me, it's just, it makes Liquid one of the most dangerous dark horses we've had in the playoffs in a long time. Because you have this mix of veterans in Phoenix and Piglet. They've been there before. They've lost together the playoffs we saw the look on their faces when they didn't qualify for worlds last split and now you add in these three rookies these guys that we had no idea what they were going to be you know all of which have developed into talents in their own right who are hungry to prove themselves on a big stage this is the moment in vegas that all of these guys can have statement games and really push liquid not only further in these playoffs, but further towards that ultimate goal of reaching worlds with the circuit points that are going to be on deck. And the craziest part about this is this team should just be getting better from here. I mean, this is something we've seen them play together for a couple of months now. Imagine when they've got a full split under their belt and they come back to a season of best of three games. This is a team that's that's drafting so well and playing so well as a unit. I can only imagine what they're going to look like by the end of summer. But we can't get to summer yet because we've got to talk about their opponent in the spring, and that is CLG. Counter Logic Gaming, a team that obviously had some question marks from people like us at the beginning of the season because of this seemingly one-note strategy that they had. But Zix and that Counter Logic Gaming staff have really found a way to add these nuances and this depth to what they've been doing. So my question to you, Walter, is how does that style match up with what Liquid we now know is going to bring to the table? I think Liquid matches up really, really well. I think they have stronger laners in the AD carry and the mid lane position. No offense to Stixay or Hui, but they are rookies. And they have been inconsistent over the course of the season. They've been better than, than average. They've been more consistent than I anticipated in the offseason, but they still have some inconsistencies. Stixay suffers a little bit from the same problem Alltech has of if he doesn't feel safe, sometimes he just doesn't output damage until he feels safe again. Mm -hmm. Hui is very caustic in terms of he can make great plays or he can leave great plays on the table or he fudges up great plays and, and they turn back and against CLG. The one strength that they do have is that Darshan is a stronger laner than Lordalo, but Lordalo's job isn't going to be beat Darshan, it's just going to be hold Darshan. Make Darshan decide, am I going to just full-on split push and the rest of the team is going to, you know, 4v4, or am I going to join the rest of the team? And when he just goes off and split pushes on his own, CLG has a lot of success because they are able to 4v4 and disengage very well. I think Dardoch is a good enough jungler that he is not going to let CLG just constantly disengage. I think Loco Doco is a smart enough coach and that the staff in Team Liquid is going to pick around and make sure that CLG don't get champions that are very, very easy to disengage. The Azir is probably going to be heavily contested in terms of it either being banned by one side or Liquid is going to prioritize trying to pick it. That way, Hui doesn't get that sort of disengage. But I think these two teams match up very well against each other, and it's going to be a very entertaining series watching this sort of chess match between the two coaches of figuring out how to chip away at the weaknesses of, of both sides. Here's the fun thing for me. CLG, on the one hand, went seven and one in their last eight games of the regular season including a win over immortals this is not something that just happens on accident this is the fruition of so much time and effort creating a system that in my opinion really benefits all of the players on this staff 
They let Darshan be the carry that he wants to be. They let him split push. They let him have those hard carry moments in ways that other teams he's been on have tried to shift him away from, make him something that he wasn't. CLG embraced it. They let X Smithy be something just reliable, dependable, don't feel like you need to go for the outplay. Same with who he to a certain extent. Build your champion pool that you feel super comfortable with, and we'll work with that. And of course, Aphromu is that guiding veteran presence for Stixa, I think has been huge for that side of the growth. On the other hand, it is interesting to point out that that one loss that they had in their last eight games was against Liquid. And that was a very interesting game to look back at in week eight. And you know, it's hard to say with that game because Darshan played Yasuo. And as we all know, Yasuo is science. And that's, you know, it's not necessarily the best example of Darshan's power in the top lane. But at the same time, that was a game in which Dardock outmaneuvered X Smithy quite heavily. He went 3 0 8 on that Lee Sin. Phoenix. Piglet, they all dominated their lanes, and CLG was choked out of resources as a result. And I'm not saying that that's something that Liquid's going to be able to do in every game. I think there are very few teams that can choke out a team that is as intelligent from both a draft and macro level in-game that CLG is. I think that coaching staff has done such an excellent job with the team. But on the other hand, I think Liquid's coaching staff has done an even better job. This team. And honestly, I, I know that this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but I would say that Loco Toco, as the coach for Liquid, should have been the coach of the split, given that he took three rookies, three guys that had no business being this good, and made them into what is now a legitimate playoff power. I mean, it, it, not to take away anything from what Dylan did for Immortals, going 17 and 1 is very hard, but he had all proven guys to work with. What Liquid's been able to do is create a system around guys that had no dependability, nothing but question marks around their play, and did struggle early. It's not like this roster came together overnight, but it has been refined and reformed into this really fun thing to watch. And for me, I guess the final question is, how does CLG try to attack it? How can CLG make that next adaptation to their game to try to take Liquid out and get to the finals here? CLG needs to take the game to Dardock to be successful. I think Dardock is really the linchpin that holds everything Liquid is able to accomplish together. Whether he is styling on people playing a full AD carry style Lee Sin, or whether he's playing more utility role and getting his ganks off and doing this, a lot of the reason Lorlo was able to get any sort of advantage on impact at all in, in any of the three games was Dardock would go to his lane, make an impact, get the player impact behind, and give Lorlo just enough of an advantage that he could slowly start pushing his, you know, pushing his luck, getting a small little lead here and there, so on and so forth. He does the same thing whenever he ganks for bot lane, whenever he ganks for mid lane. He's just trying to get these tiny little advantages in his lane so he can do what he does best, which is counter jungling, which is going after the enemy jungler, which is getting kills on the enemy jungler, which is taking away vision, you know, doing all these things where he is interacting inside the enemy's jungle. For CLG to be successful, they need to turn the page and they need to go after Dardoch. Xsmithy needs to get into Dardoch's jungle. They need to shadow him. They need to get wards on all of his camps so they understand where he is so that Xsmithy he can do what he does best, which is counteracting what the enemy jungler does. Uh, mm -hmm. When you have two of these junglers that interact very much with each other in different ways, Dardock is trying to be on the offensive, where Xsmithy is trying to be on the defensive and make sure that his lanes are safe as opposed to impacting lanes and making sure that they get ahead. I think it's a very interesting kind of matchup. 
and with the the ward control that X Smithy and Aphromir are able to get, as well as their synergy, it does give CLG a little bit of an advantage if they can successfully shadow Dardock and get on top of him. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair, especially now. I mentioned earlier how the bright lights of Vegas can serve as an inspiration for some of these young guys in Liquid that are hungry to prove themselves. It can also be a curse. We always forget that until these guys actually show up on a big stage, it's hard to know exactly how they're going to handle it. And there is no stage bigger than being at the Mandalay Bay in Vegas with the entire world watching and seeing whether you can pull off an upset against the reigning champions of North America. And it's not to say that Liquid can't. In fact, I think that they can. I like this team a lot, and I think I'm even going to predict them to win the series outright. But at the same time, CLG is no easy threat to get through. They have become a very smart team. They have become a very tough team. But for me, it's a matter of how the meta has moved away from what Darshan wants to do. He does not want to play tanks. Tanks are the last thing that he wants to be doing. And I'm sure his tank echo is likely ready to go because that's the closest he's going to get to playing a full-on tank. But it does concern me that he doesn't have these hard split-pushing options that have been so definitive for their composition style. They'll have to make the adjustment there, I think, more than anything else. Walter, all of this said, where do you think the line is? I have CLG as the favorites at minus 170. Ah, you get this one, you jerk. I said minus 160, it's minus 189. I thought I was close enough. It turns out I was not. But it's a very interesting line. It gives us Team Liquid plus 145. Which I think is is pretty good odds. I, I, actually, I really like those. I, I like those odds quite a bit. And if we look at the projections, the expected win rates that Steve Kaffmeyer gave us, which I don't want to want to completely fall into, oh, well, the statistics say this, so let's absolutely believe this. But the expected win rate for CLG was around 61%. Team Liquid was around 64%. CLG outperformed their expected win rate by about 11.5%, which... That does say something, and I think that this is the moment where it's going to get abused, where now they're going to have to play against a team that I think matches up very well against them and is very well prepared with their own coaching staff. And I think that takes away one of CLG's advantages of being so much better prepared than their opponents typically. So I I would say Team Liquid is probably going to be the winner of the series. I think it's going to be very close. I think if you're looking for value, which is what we're always trying to do for the best bets, I think that we can go ahead and write down Team Liquid plus 145. But that doesn't necessarily mean for all of you CLG fans at home that we think that this is by any means an easy bet to make or that we even think it's going to be... 100% likely. It's just that given the value, there's really very little value to be had for CLG, unless you think they're going to win 3-1 or better, which is a plus 115, which I just don't think that's going to happen. I think Liquid wins at least two. I think this is potentially a five-game series, or Liquid can just get some momentum going and who he and Stixa could falter under it. Who knows? It's going to be a very interesting series to watch. And you know it's going to be just as fun to watch afterwards, Walter? All of the highlight videos that will almost assuredly spawn from this series because this is a CLG team and a Team Liquid team, both of which have massive fan bases. And people, I'm sure, are going to want to make highlight videos and be able to interact with the community of fans like them. If only they had a place they could go. I think... I think there is such a place. I think there is such a place where you can easily make highlight videos from a multitude of sources, including YouTube and Vimeo even. But it's Vimeo, so 
I know I've used Vibby. I'm actually using Vibby today to make some highlight videos for Trance, who's my favorite support player in the NA promotional series. But Chase, tell me about your experience with Vibby. Well, honestly, for me, it's been a matter of playing around with some things from our own scrimmages that we have as a team. I want to be able to take clips when all the player names are hidden, of course, because nothing is worse than leaking scrim stats that anyone has. But just being able to give fans something to be excited about, some actual clips from our own games that people can see, this is the team that we're developing. So I can show my family and friends at home who maybe don't necessarily know League of Legends as well. Here's a quick little video that explains everything I've actually been doing with my life. And here's a way for the fans to be able to interact with it because of the way those pages are laid out, because of the highlighted users that you can follow along and make sure that you're keeping up with these posts. There's just so much great stuff to find on Vibby.com. And you guys should go there today, interact with that great community and, and make videos and send them our way. We love seeing the Vibbies that you guys produce. So by all means, go to Vibby.com, check them out. We love what they do over there. And Walter, you've got to be loving what TSM's been doing over there in the quarterfinal series. Oh. You had very little hope on this podcast when we were talking last week. And now you have been rewarded with a victory. Are you back in on TSM? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I've ever actually really been out. I think I keep telling myself like, no, no, I'm done with this. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. But I've been a TSM fan for like four years. Like, can I ever really get out of this relationship unless the organization crumbles? Like, I don't think so. I've I was going to say, are I... you describing a fandom or a bad relationship? I'm not sure anymore. See, <laughs> see. I feel like this relationship is kind of like a marriage where it starts out, you have that really like long honeymoon phase where everything is awesome. And I think now at this point in the relationship with TSM, we've now hit the moment where we have like kids mm -hmm. and we've been like staying up like 20 hours out of a day because the baby's waking us up. Mm -hmm. and, and granted, it's rough. It's not great. It, it's hard. But at the end of the day, you know, we love each other. We care about each other and, and we're just going to help each other try to succeed so TSM, you still have my heart. As much as it hurts sometimes, as much as sometimes you get on my nerves because you just refuse to take all the dirty diapers out of the trash can to the to the road. It hurts, it sucks, and I get angry at you sometimes, but god damn it, you're the only team I have a t-shirt for. And that says something. That says but, something. So is Weldon the equivalent of the nanny you guys hire so the workload isn't quite as awful and you can start feeling better about the time you actually get to spend together? See, we're in esports, so we don't have money. So I think Weldon <laughs> is that like elderly neighbor that you feel bad because they just lost their significant other. So you, you ask them to babysit on occasion. I feel like this metaphor got real, real, real quick. Like that, that is some genuine emotion there. <laughs> Poor elderly neighbors, man. Like they just—I don't actually know how many elderly neighbors listen to our podcast. I hope that they appreciate the I shout feel like out. We have the corner on elderly neighbors when it comes to League of Legends podcasts. I would like to say that we are very elderly neighbor friendly. That's true. Absolutely. If you're an elderly neighbor, we are glad you're listening to this podcast. But what is Weldon at this point to you? Because this is one of those narratives. Even at the end of the podcast we did yesterday in Europe, you were so tired of this Weldon narrative. But when you see a win like they had against Cloud9, do you start to buy in just a little bit? No. No. I'm old school. I used to play basketball. When my shot wasn't going down, I just kept shooting. 
like maybe not in game, but afterwards you, you, you shoot a hundred free throws. I'm, I'm from the Kobe school of thought where it's like, okay, well, if something's not working, just keep work, keep grinding it, keep getting it better. You got to keep swinging. You got to keep shooting. You got to keep throwing the ball, like whatever. And I get that there is some place for psychology in terms of success, but I don't think that trust fall exercise and sitting in a circle singing Kumbaya, and I'm probably being very offensive to psychology majors, and I'm sorry, but I'm this sick of this entire performance coaching narrative. I don't think that that's what made this team be successful. I think this team finally hit a stride and finally played well. And some of it probably has to do with Weldon coming in. And there is some sort of like Pavlovian connection between Weldon and like, okay, well, we did really well against CLG when he was here for those two weeks. Okay, he comes back in. Okay, we feel better. We play great. But let's not forget, they were like seven and two with Woodbuck. So are we going to say that Woodbuck was like a huge part of their success? Like, no, I, I hate it. I'm sure he has some impact on it, but the level of which people are going, oh, it's the Weldon effect that they're so successful. I hate it. It's it's kind of dismissive to what the players were able to accomplish. Well, that's just it, right? I do believe there is a place to say that Weldon had an impact on these guys. If you look at the loss they had in game one, it was a 25-minute game. They were steamrolled. A older TSM, a TSM from earlier in the split, would have folded. They didn't. They bounced back in game two, and they never really looked back from that game. So in that effect, I do believe that you can make an argument that something about the way they handle that situation is different than what we've seen in the regular season, or maybe they'd get more frustrated or they'd start picking more individual styles of play instead of relying on the team. But at the end of the day, I think it's more of what we touched on a little bit in the podcast last week, which is that these are five veteran players. They understand that the regular season is 18 games, most of which don't really matter as long as you get to the playoffs. And much like Origin and Fnatic from Europe, these guys, when it's up for them to live up to the big salaries and the big reputations they've made for themselves, they found a way to do it. And they did it across the board. They did it through Bjergsen being able to have these hard carry games on the Azir, on the Zed, even on the Velkos, which I thought was a great pick as far as looking at the zoning potential that an Azir has and being able to counter it by making those choke points just as dangerous for the enemy team as they are for you. I loved the way they drafted. I loved the way they played this out. Do you think that this is the style that they can continue going forward in the playoffs? Or do you think that this was particularly something that they got away with against Cloud9, who I swear we will talk about in a second? Fans who are eagerly waiting to hear what we have to say about Cloud9. I, I think this was great because it showed Svenskaren, the Svenskaren we've been longing for. The carry mm-hmm. style Svenskaren, even like the Elise, the, the the second Elise game where he didn't get a ton of kills, he was still super impactful, and and that's great. That's what I've wanted to see from Svenskaren the entire year. He, to me, he's been the most disappointing player on this team. Yeah, Yellow Star has been pretty awful, but I really thought Svenskaren was going to have a super high impact in every single game, and he just hasn't. The games that they've lost, he's he's looked pretty lost. He's looked like Santorin did last year, and the one downside I do look at that is that, man, this yellow star double lift bot lane just does not work in lane. 
In lane, mm-hmm. they're awful. Do- Yellow Star keeps getting caught out. They keep giving up first bloods. The one plus is that Yellow Star, though, when he gets into like the team fight phase, he knows how to protect his AD carry. He knows how to protect his carries. He knows how to disrupt team fights, and that's helpful. That's a really good sign. But geez, they look awful in laning phase, and and that is so disappointing. When Double Lift was one of the better laning phase AD carries in North America. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how that bot lane has kind of played itself out over the course of the split it does seem like double lift individually is there and has the ability to make plays like you said after the laning phase but it still leaves me questions about yellow star and what it is his role on this team truly is and you think about a similar team i'm going to go back to the origin comparison because that's a team that also has a lot of players that are well known within the league and have a reputation as individuals as well as as team players. But when they needed a support, they got Mithy. And Mithy was a guy who had a very specific identity that filled a hole that they had in the team. And I feel like we haven't figured out what Yellowstar's role in this TSM roster is. He's not the shot caller, Bjergsen is. So what is he supposed to be doing? I haven't found an answer to that. And to be honest, I think that segues into what we need to talk about Cloud9, which is, I don't know if High has the answers anymore when it comes to a full best of five series. Okay, this wasn't High's fault. I I hate this narrative too. I hate it just on the same level as I hate the Weldon effect. I absolutely despise it. This series wasn't High's fault. This series was Rush ran into a brick wall and Rush choked. That that's as simple as it came for for Cloud Nine. Rush choked. They put him on a carry champion in game one. He did really really well. Got you know got everybody going. Jensen and Sneaky were being excelled forward by this early aggressive Kindred, and then the rest of the series, Rush could accomplish nothing. And some of it has to you have to give some credit to Sven Skarin, and Sven Skarin was able to shadow Rush and really get into his head. But after game three. When Rush is not having any success on the Kindred, he needs to understand as a player, crap, like, I'm not doing well. They need to put me on, like, I need to play something else. They need to put me on something else. And you have to tell the coach that. When Mm -hmm. I played basketball, I wasn't a great three-point shooter. But I'd have some games where I'd I'd be feeling, I'd be feeling it, and I'd tell coach, yo, I'm feeling the threes today. Draw me up some plays. Draw me up some plays. Great. I'd drop some plays. And then the next game, the coach would remember that and start and he'd drop a couple plays for me to, to you know, shoot some threes. And, ah, not nah, coach, it's not working. All right, we'll go back to what you normally do, which is you're not going to touch the basketball. Awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> but as a player and as a professional, you need to see that. Some of this is Lemonation's fault in terms of the pick ban. He should have seen it and he should have asked Rush, do you feel confident on this? At this point, Rush should probably be saying, no, I don't. I don't feel confident. After game three, you probably should say, no, this isn't working, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was High's fault. I don't think the shot calling was the problem. I think it was that they got so far behind because Rush wasn't able to make an impact on the early game like he did in game one and like he's done the majority of the season. So I don't want to say this, but Rush is starting to seem like he's a little bit of a of a choke artist in the playoffs when you're looking back at last year on team impulse and now Mm. in this series the playoffs just don't seem to be where he shines which is really unusual well and you wouldn't have said that after game one where he went 2-1 and 11 on this kindred and build up a lot of confidence with it i think that on the one hand the fact that 
there wasn't even a second option for Rush over the four games that they played shows a lack of depth or a lack of understanding in where the meta is. The deaths, especially in the third and fourth game, were really bad. And a lot of it came from the fact that his pathing was very predictable. And that allows Sven Skaren to counter jungle quite nicely to bring some friends along for the ride and make sure that they kept Rush down early and often. Because without Rush there to get balls ahead, to get Jensen in a comfortable place, then the bot lane was left to its own devices. And High is not a great mechanical support. We've known that for a while now. He had 15 deaths in the three losses that they had. This is not what you want to be doing against Double Lift and Bjergsen and all of those things. But here's why I am a little bit more critical of High and the shot calling than you are. Jungle and support more than anything are supposed to be working together to establish vision so that your jungler does not get caught out the way that rush did the vision from high was atrocious in their losses they had no idea where tsm was coming rush was not just being punished for trying to counter jungle tsm he was getting punished in his own jungle because they never set up the defenses to make sure that he could actually catch back up. And so it was this perpetual snowball effect where he would die once and then it would cause the second and the third and the fourth. And by the time he's died seven times, the game's over. And Kindred is absolutely useless because a Kindred that falls behind early and is not helped to get back into the game only falls off deeper and deeper as things get worse and worse. And maybe that's a shot calling error in that he needs to be calling Rush's pathing because as we've seen from Calm, nobody talks but high is that high's fault necessarily no but that's the system that cloud nine built so some responsibility is going to fall on his shoulders for that but as an individual player as a mechanical person in the game that has a role to fill he failed he warded less than any support in north america if you look at averages over the regular season he was in last place and then performed worse than that in the playoffs, Tim Sevenhusen did a tweet on it. It is incredible how little vision and protection he gave his team. So yes, I am going to blame High for this. I do believe that whether it's the shot calling mistakes or the vision mistakes or the mechanical mistakes, he failed across the board. And at some point, if you're Cloud9, you can't build a team around a solo shot caller that isn't able to perform his task that his role needs him to do on a consistent basis. And he didn't do it here. I, I, to, to me, that that is something we do blame him for. That, I think that, he does deserve fair. some problem for that. that that's um, fair. I, I, can, I can understand where you're coming from with that. Then if they had such a warding issue, and, and this is one of the things I am noticing, and I even went and checked like the, the global match history for Kindred, and a lot of junglers are going Skirmisher Saber. But if you're having such a problem warding, I feel like going Poacher's Knife or Tracker's Knife would have just been a little bit better, especially after... Again, we go into game three or game four when you realize that Svenskaren is coming into your juggle, jungle and bullying you around. You got you to gotta stop the bleeding at some point. You got to get some more words protecting yourself. And I, I just felt like Rush and I guess also High didn't accomplish this. They didn't protect the player that they were trying to make as one of their primary carries. Exactly. It was a very greedy build by Rush. And I do not go on my high rant to take away from the fact that Rush had a terrible series. Once that game one went down, it felt like he was very stubborn. He felt it's one of those things where it feels like Rush wants to be the carry, the guy that everyone's talking about. And he would rather lose than have to accept a secondary role on the team and adjust 
what it is that he should be doing and admit that maybe what he's doing isn't what the team needs from him at that point in time. And that's a kind of stubbornness that if that is the case, they need to figure out. If it's Lemon Nation's drafting, they need to figure it out. If it's High's shot calling, they need to figure it out. And they certainly need to figure out the warding issue because their vision right now is very clearly punishable in a best of five situation. And we're about to go into a North America that's doing best of threes. You cannot get away with those weaknesses in a best of three. It's just something that Cloud9 needs to figure out. And unfortunately, this series leaves them with a lot of questions. A lot of questions that we didn't think they'd have to be answering this time last week. But I don't know how you look at a series like this that so clearly goes against them and not have a ton of red flags coming in the air. And maybe we're being alarmist. I will admit that I I come down very harshly because I have such high expectations for what they are capable of. And they so clearly underperformed from that. But man, if I'm Jack right now, I don't feel good about any of this. This, this was rough to watch. And you know what else might be rough to watch, Walter, is your TSM team going up against a mortals because as much as the cinderella beating up on cloud nine having that nice historical rivalry goes is it enough to match up with what immortals is doing right now i i don't think so i don't i don't want to underestimate them because i feel like we've done a lot of that we've underestimated some teams but man immortals is really really good and Rainover is really really good and hooney is really really good and even if Svenskaren had this same type of series, I'm just not sure that all five TSM members can outplay all five Immortals members. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm not confident about it. I think maybe they try and attack the bot lane, but I wouldn't, like, your bot lane is already weak, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the path to victory here is, unless... Svenskaren and and Bjergsen go again go off and crush Rainover and Pobelter. I I think that's actually where they need to play through is play through mid and try and just style on those two. But the last time Bjergsen met Pobelter in the playoffs, you know Pobelter just effectively neutered him. So we'll yeah. see what happens. I'm 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 definitely a bit more excited than I was if TSM had made it through after the drubbing that they put on Cloud Nine, but. I, I don't think this is a very easy series for TSM in, in any regards. They're they're going to need to fight tooth and nail if they want to continue to be in the LCS finals for every single split in the LCS's existence. You know, I'll put it like this. Sometimes the simplest way is the best way to describe these things. You're going up against a team that had four of the five all-pro spots and the MVP of the whole split in Rainover, the guy that you need to outplay right now. And the best coach who, even if I think Loco Doco's coaching job was more impressive, just given the degree of difficulty presented in front of him, there's a reason that Dylan got the award. And it's because he has been able to come up with innovative strategies that have caught opponents off guard time and time again. Huni was playing Cho'Gath well before anybody even thought about using Cho'Gath as a top lane anything. And they've been able to pull off compositions that very few people have been able to do since. I honestly do believe that there is potential for Immortals to just dominate these playoffs if they play to what they did in the regular season. But this is not the regular season. And the one thing that has changed since the last time Pobelter and Bjergsen met up in the playoffs is that I don't think that TSM is going to put Bjergsen on supportive mid laners anymore. That was a series in which we saw a lot of Lulu in the past. We saw a lot of Karma. I think Karma was in that uh, season five summer. There were a lot of supportive mid laners for TSM during that time. 
I don't think they're going to make that mistake. I think they're going to allow the assassins to go through. I think they're going to allow Bjergsen to be a focal point. And he's going to need to be. Because top lane could be rough. Bot lane could get really rough. Because Wild Turtle and Adrian's laning phase is probably the best thing about them right now. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what they do. Walter, all of this said, where do you think the line is on this game? I have Immortals at minus 450. Okay, you get this one, and with it the week. I gave your TSM team too much credit. I want you to know that I believed in how strong of a performance they had last week. I only put Immortals minus 320. It is Immortals minus 588. Even the plus one and a half handicap for Immortals is minus 213. Yeah, there's, there's like no money to be had here. I mean, there is if you think Immortals is going to 3-0. It's plus 160 for that. It's it's possible. I don't think it's likely, though. I, I think TSM gets one, one, at least one game. Yeah, I think the TSM's definitely grown to the point where they could take that. And by the way, just because I don't think TSM stands much of a chance against Immortals doesn't mean I've lost any faith in this team in a third-place match. I actually really like the idea of potentially a TSM-CLG third-place grudge match with Immortals and Liquid representing a new org versus the new wave of NA talent. That's the storyline I would like to see. It would be interesting to see how it's all going to play out and and what storylines will kind of come to the forefront. But at this point, this is just TSM being matched against a team that right now has not demonstrated any clear weaknesses. You can't pick on Wild Turtle because his positioning has improved and Adrian saves him whenever he makes a mistake. Can't really pick on Hooney because... He is a dominant top lane threat in a way that very few North Americans can even start to match. And Hanser is not Darshan. That was the one thing where at least CLG could match Immortals in that sense. I don't think TSM can. I'd love to see how TSM is going to attack it. I think TSM's strategy is going to say a lot about where they're going moving forward and what their plans are for the future as far as continuing to make an identity for this team that can then come back in the summer and really scare some people. But Walter, honestly, at the end of the day, the decision to pick Immortals looks pretty obvious when you look at the stats on esportsfans.com. They have all these really nice bar graphs, and you can see the Immortals graphs being way above pretty much everyone else in North America. Was there any particular stat from Immortals that just grabbed you? I look at Cooney, and I look at the fact that he's already played three games as Echo, and we've mm-hmm. seen in between the promotional series, between the the foreign regions, you know, Korea, China, that top lane Echo, and even we're recording this as the first round of the, the NA promotion series is going on, we saw Ninja play a mid lane tank Echo. And I think Echo is a very, very strong, important pick on this patch, and the fact that Hooney has already played it a few times. Granted, not Tank Echo. And the fact that he's also has all these sort of counter picks. If any one player is going to come up with something interesting or innovative to counteract an Echo, it's going to be Hooney. But he's a really, really good Echo player. So this is going to be a very prime pick. And you can see that with the beautiful orange bar graphs on eSports fans. Yeah, you can see not only the picks that he made and his most popular champions to fall back on. But you can also see the builds that he used, the overall stats he has in terms of KDA, wards uh, permitted, CS permitted, all those fun stats and nice, easy bar graphs. You can compare him 
to the league average for his position, not to mention the Immortals page in general there, team pages, post-match pages, all of which are very simple and easy to view just because of how cleanly the site is laid out. It's great for both casual fans and hardcore fans to be able to digest at whatever level you really want to digest these stats. We couldn't recommend it more highly. It's eSports fans, that's fans with a Z or a Z, depending on whether you studied in the UK like myself, dot com. Check them out. We think they do some really great stuff. Walter, we've got to come up with some smart money bets. And given those Immortals lines, I'm not sure we have a lot of value here. No, unfortunately not, especially not with the Immortals. I mean, if you want, there's TSM at a plus one and a half handicap. So if they lose 3-2 or better... That's plus 160. I, I don't Basically, think goes, they're saying that... I don't think it goes five games. Do you think it's worth taking the minus two and a half at plus 160? And that way, if it loses, at least you feel good that TSM won a game? We could we could do that, I, I guess. If, if we yeah, if we need to pick something for Immortals, that's probably our, our best bet. Yeah, because the problem is none of the other ones really stand out. I don't think TSM's going to win map one which is plus 200. If they're going to win, I think it's going to be because they make an adaptation. They did not show up strong in game one against Cloud9. Yeah. I don't expect that to change here. I don't like the handicap odds they're being given anywhere else. First Blood, First Tower, First Dragon, First Baron, these are all very fun bets, but they're not the kind of bets that we like to recommend here because we care about that whole $1,051 in the black that we've been able to make for you guys over the course of this podcast. That means we've got to find another one in the CLG Liquid series. What well, do you think about Liquid plus 115 to win map one? Just double down on Liquid here. I like that, actually. Yeah. I like that. I, I think that Liquid is going to come out swinging, and I think it's going to be kind of alternating. We also need to see the the pick ban sides, who who's mm-hmm. going to be on what side for game one, which you might have enough time to see those before these lock. I, I don't know. I've never I've never checked that, but I'll check that this weekend um, and see when, you know, it, if they show the 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 placard that says, you know, all five games in there, you know, before they start the show, they usually put up a schedule. If they show that and Liquid is red side, I'd, I'd say that that is definitely a, a smart choice to take them as the map one winner, allowing them to what? have the counter pick and the potential for two power picks on the uh on the first rotation and to be fair i think that's the way it's going to go if only because according to our lovely friends at esports fans clg actually does better on blue side than red side and liquid does better on red side than blue side it could be all five games on one side of the map it's very possible but those are going to be our three smart money bets team liquid plus 145 over clg straight up plus 115 on map one and Immortals plus 160 with the minus two and a half handicap over TSM. Because at least that way, no matter what, you're a winner, Walter. And we, we try to do that on the podcast. But before we wrap up, we do have to mourn one loss. And it's a loss that I know is near and dear to your heart. I mentioned this when we did our LCS promotion preview podcast, that there was always going to be a little bit of a heartbreak since Trance and Kiwi Kid had to be matched up. And I guess the one thing you can say for Kiwi Kid and the rest of that Dignitas squad is at least their death was quick and I won't say painless, but quick at least. Is that something? Does that... 
it's it's such a weird way for Dignitas's legacy to come to an end in the LCS. So the one thing I will say is a lot of people brought up legacy and they are a legacy organization. They've been here since the beginning and, and prior to the beginning. They've been around since season two and were one of the more entertaining teams to watch. And they were the original friendship team. They were the original friendship team before Cloud9. Uh, you know, Kiwi Kid and, and Scar are probably two of the greatest guys in terms of their friendship. And watching the last couple days, uh, I Will Dominate and Boy Boy and I'm a Cutie Pie all streamed together the other day. And they've had Scar a couple of times. And it's really nice seeing some of the older players still work together. Um, there were rumors in, in the offseason that Kiwi Kid had wanted to retire to go to medical school or pharmacy school. He didn't end up leaving. He ended up staying for another split. It's unfortunate that he goes out on, on a loss. Uh, I hope Odie and the Dignitas organization does something where they stay in League of Legends. If not in North America, go to Europe, where the rest of the organization is essentially based. All their other teams are European. The one thing about the legacy, though, guys, is that this, you know, even Reggie just a, a, a half hour ago basically said something like, oh, it, it, it you know sucks to see a legacy organization not stay in the LCS. Well, one, it's not legacy anymore. There are no players from that legacy organization that are easily identifiable except Kiwi Kid from its you know original kind of inception. And this is what the system is. And if you aren't going to build a winning team, which Dignitas failed to failed to do, that was not a good team, you need to realize that this is the rule and there's a chance that you will get kicked out of the league uh, for being unsuccessful. So I think it's right to to mourn, but we have to realize that they kind of put themselves into this position. Yeah, and it's a position that they've been precariously having to deal with for a while now. If you look at the summer promotion, they had to have that 3-2 series against Team Fusion, and they've managed to battle their way into a sixth place spot in the playoffs a few times. They've never really threatened. Their best overall performance was a third place finish in the season three spring split. It's basically been downhill from there, which is not a great sign because the spring split is not remembered as, oh man, remember when all those powerhouses were going down. It's tough. It's tough to see this organization fall. But on the other hand, it's more tough to see an organization just because they're trying to keep some of these legacy guys as long as they did, because some of these roster moves didn't work out, because there were some visa issues that messed with things, now here we are. And the one thing that I think is promising is that we know that Dignitas as an organization is going to be just fine. They have their Heroes of the Storm team, they have a Counter-Strike team, they've got so many other teams that they have been very successful with. They've proven as an organization that they do know how to make wise decisions, and now they can start over. Now they have a chance to build something new from the ground up and see what they can create and see how they can reestablish themselves as a different Dignitas, but perhaps a more successful Dignitas than the one that we all grew to love. Because at the end of the day, rooting for Dignitas was not about rooting for winners. That's not why you were anyone became a Dignitas fan. You became a Dignitas fan because you loved the players and the personalities and everything that they brought. And that is never going to change. Those memories, the I love League of Legends, that clip will always be there for all of those Dignitas fans. What is dead may never die in that sense. And now the organization can move on and form an identity for themselves outside of it, which I think, honestly, is probably for the best at this point. But that is a podcast for us. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did, you should go to soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts. Hit the subscribe button on there. 
or you can go to iTunes, search podcasts, and give us a nice subscribe, maybe even a review. We really appreciate those. We read every one you guys make, so uh, definitely love seeing what you guys have to say on that. It really helps us with the metrics, so please go ahead and do that. You can also find all of our posts on unicorn.com slash community. We try to put all our podcasts on there because we love Unicorn. We love what they're doing. We love having these conversations about gambling odds and trying to find the value week after week. So definitely go play along on Unicorn there. And follow us on social media. I am at Red Shirt King. Walter, where can the people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL and at SlingshotEsports.com. Rock solid forever. Perfect. <laughs> rock solid forever indeed i'm gonna do one selfish plug at the end of this obviously if you guys have been listening to this podcast at all and you pay attention to the opening you know that i work for an organization known as imperial esports we are currently going into our own promotion matches uh the turkish challenger league is basically one big single elimination tournament we play I think we will be airing the quarterfinals on a time after this podcast will have been released. It is 1500 Eastern time, uh, 2100 Central uh, European time. I would love for you guys to check that out. If you want to see what it is that I've actually been working on, the semifinals are on Saturday. The finals are on Sunday. Uh, I would love to have some of these podcast fans come cheer us on, give us an international presence for the team. Cause I've been working really hard at all of these picks and bands and all of the analysis that hopefully I've been able to incorporate in the podcast. So if you want to see what it actually looks like when I'm in the spotlight and I'm the one who can have criticism thrown my way, go check out those games. And until next time, goodbye internet.